You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do cry out with the whole Church of Christ. Lord, have mercy. Teach us today what that means. Teach us what it means to be people who yearn for mercy. Meet us here with the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, fam. Good to see you on this beautiful spring day. We're uh, studying together the gospel of Mark as we make our way ever closer to Easter. Uh, And today we're looking at this great story from Mark chapter 10, verses 46 through 52. Mark has been teaching us about this, cha- about this way of discipleship, the way of Jesus. We've been kind of parked in this chapter for a few weeks, and it all really culminates here with this capstone story about discipleship. So let's hear from Kate Mendez as she reads to us from Mark 10, verses 46 through 52. A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's a little piece of trivia. Did you know that the word Christian, the word Christian is only used three times in the whole Bible? Not very many. The word, though, that is used over and over and over again to describe someone who believes in Jesus and follows him is used many times, and I bet you can guess what that word is. That word is disciple, disciple. And that's really what God is after, I think. Not people who self-identify as Christians, not people who are good church attenders, uh, but people who are disciples, people who are learning the way of Jesus. Jesus' great command, after all, just before he ascended into heaven at the end of Matthew was go into the world. It was not make Christians or go into the world and build churches, but it was go into the world and make disciples. I think Jesus probably knew that if you build lots of churches, that doesn't necessarily mean lots of disciples, but if you build lots of disciples, that will always guarantee great churches. And so that's what God is after, disciples. And that's what we want to be at third. We don't want to be just a bunch of churchgoers. We really want to be a community of disciples, people who are following the way of Jesus. But of course, that raises the question, well, what is a disciple? 
What is it? And what does it mean to be a disciple? And how do you know? How do you know if you're a disciple? Well, thank goodness for this story, because this whole chapter, chapter 10, has been building this theme of being a disciple. And so here at the end of the chapter, Mark presents this person, Bartimaeus, as the model disciple. If you want to know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, brothers and sisters, there's no better person to look at than this man, Bartimaeus. So we're going to take a close look at him and we're going to see what are the signs of discipleship in his life and how we can shape our life in the same way. So let's just look together at a few marks or signs or characteristics from Bartimaeus about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay? Are you all with me on that? You guys there? Okay, great, thanks. So the mark, the first mark, the first characteristic is one that might be a little surprising to you. And that is desperation, desperation. Let's look at Bartimaeus, at this man. He's a beggar, he's blind all day long. He sits on the side of the road and asks for money. Um, the fact that he has a, this terrible disability and that he's begging in the streets probably means that he has no family to take care of him, no one to have his back. He was a member of the ancient society that was called the expendables, people that no one took care of. He was powerless and marginalized. He was literally on the margins. He was sitting not, he was not with the crowd in the road. He was sitting on the side of the road. Kids, I don't know if you have been ever driving with your parents and you've seen the people maybe standing in the intersection of the roads with a sign that says, you know, homeless, need money. That's Bartimaeus. He is on the margins. He has no vision, no capacity in his life other than to just get out there every day and hustle for cash. And so at first, this day is like any other day, all the hundreds, thousands of days as he's been out there hustling. And suddenly there's this sound movement, hustle and bustle in the crowd. And he asks someone what's happening. And they say, oh, the man Jesus, the rabbi Jesus is on his way. And Bartimaeus has heard about Jesus. He's heard about the stories of him. And so he begins to shout, verse 47. And the word there is, it says shout in the NIV. It's actually, the word is like shriek, scream, right? Kids, I'm gonna ask you to do something right now that your mom and dad have probably told you never to do in church. If you're 10 or under, right now, on the count of three, I want you to scream on the top of your lungs. I'm being serious. No one's gonna get you in trouble. Ready? One, two, three. That was amazing. And that's, okay, you can stop now. Stop now. That's what, that's what Bartimaeus was doing. He was saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he was so loud, like you guys. He was so loud and so obnoxious that the crowd was trying to get him to shut up. They were like, quiet, man. Shut up, filth. Keep your mouth shut. Something important is happening. And what does Bartimaeus do in response? He just starts screaming even louder. I'm not going to ask you to do that. Please don't. <laughs> what I want y'all to see, <laughs> come on, y'all. No more, no more kids. I gave you one dispensation. That's it. What I want us to see, though, is that that's actually what kids do, right? Like those of you who have little kids or have had little kids, you know that when your child is in trouble or feels afraid or is panicky, what do they do? They yell out. They cry out, mom, 
dad. Right? This is what powerless people do when they're in trouble. This is what desperate people do. They don't come respectably. They don't come put together. They yell. They scream. They cry out for help. And what does Jesus do? Look at verse 49. Jesus, these are, I think, some of the most two beautiful words in Scripture. Jesus stops. Maybe you think you have a really important job. Some of you, I'm sure, do. With all due respect, it's not nearly as important as Jesus' job. He is on his way to save the world, literally. You know, he is making his way to Jerusalem with the most important mission that any human being has ever lived for. I get annoyed when I have the smallest interruptions, but here's Jesus who is on his way to save the world and he stops for a shrieking beggar on the side of the road. And what do we learn about Jesus from that, friends? Jesus stops for desperate people. Jesus stops for people who are crying out for help. Jesus always stops for those who need mercy. I want you to contrast Bartimaeus with the other man that we met two weeks ago. Do y'all remember who that was? Remember that man two weeks ago? The rich young ruler? Do you kids remember him? There's a reason why Mark puts both of these men in the same chapter, because he wants you to compare and contrast them. Remember, remember the rich young ruler? He came up to Jesus and he said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Oh, the commands, I have kept all of them since I was a child, right? Contrast the approaches of these two men, right? The rich young ruler approaches Jesus from a place of power and moral righteousness. Bartimaeus approaches Jesus from a place of marginalization and powerlessness. One man says, what must I do? The other man cries out, Lord, have mercy. One man says, look at all I have done. The other man says, look at all I need, right? Their approaches could not be more different. And then look at the outcome. Contrast the outcome of these two men and their situations. The rich young ruler thinks he can see and he walks away blind while Bartimaeus is blind and he walks away seeing. One man has everything and he goes away sad. The other man, Bartimaeus, has nothing and he goes away rejoicing. One man has power and wealth and status and we never learn his name. And the other man is powerless and on the margins and we're saying his name right now. His name is remembered forever. What's going on? This is the reversal of the values of the kingdom of God, right? In the world, it's the rich and the strong and the powerful and the talented and the credentialed. They're the ones who are remembered and honored and their names are put on the buildings, right? They're the ones who are lifted up. But in the kingdom of Jesus, it is the weak and the poor and the broken and the disenfranchised and the desperate and the needy. They are the ones who are exalted and remembered and honored in the kingdom of Jesus. As James Edwards says, the kingdom of heaven is not for the well-meaning, but for the desperate. Don't you think it's fascinating that whenever Jesus says who you should be like to be his disciple, he either points to children or adults who act like children. 
Don't you think that's kind of funny? Why is that? Because the first ingredient, the first mark, the first characteristic of discipleship of Jesus is need, desperation. That's the beginning of Christian discipleship. Y'all, y'all look like a put-together, good-looking crowd, but let's not trick each other, y'all. We all have places. You just start pulling back a couple layers. We all have places of desperation in our lives. We really do. We all have places where we just don't know what to do and we're stuck and we feel helpless. It could be regarding your work. It could be regarding your kids. It could be regarding your parents. It could be regarding your health or your mental health. It could be regarding your money. It could be regarding, I mean, Thoreau was right when he said, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. And we spend most of our time hiding it. And church and religion makes it worse because we somehow believe that we feel like we gotta come in this place and hide these things and silence our cries and put on a good face and act like we're put together. And you add in the West End culture of Richmond where everyone is beautiful and educated and has successful children and you have a recipe for what I call desperation repression. But we see here Jesus wants your desperation. Getting to the place of helplessness is the beginning of Christian discipleship. That your desperation, your fears, your liabilities, your struggles and sorrows, these are gateways to Jesus and his grace. Realizing you can't fix yourself in your situation. That you are profoundly aware of your need, that you're crying out for mercy. That is the beginning of discipleship. You thought your mess disqualified you, but it's actually what qualifies you, that Jesus stops for the desperate. So this is the first thing of what it means to become a follower of Jesus. Are you in touch with your need? Are you in touch with those places of desperate places in your life? This is why we sing that song all the time that Kim sang to us, Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy. That's the song of the disciple. So that's ingredient number one. Ingredient number two, quality number two, is faith. Faith. My um, favorite Star Wars movie, I know this is of much debate, is Rogue One. Anybody else with me on that? Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah. I'll fist bump you later. Yeah, thanks. Um, I love the character um, in that movie, Chirat Dimue, who in the, one of the opening scenes... Um, you believe that he's just sort of this blind beggar on the margins. Uh, and then as the stormtroopers begin hassling um, people, he stands up and it is immediately clear that he is able to see and perceive far more than any other character can see. And that's really the picture that we see happening here in this story, is that Bartimaeus, though he is the blind man on the margins, we suddenly become aware that this man is able to see and perceive what's going on here more than anyone else with two good eyes. First, he's able to see who Jesus is. When he hears that Jesus is passing by, he begins to cry out. Did you hear what he called Jesus? Jesus, son of David. He is the first person in this entire book to identify Jesus as son of David, this powerful messianic title. While the crowd see Jesus as a rabbi or a healer or a prophet or a political revolutionary, Bartimaeus sees him as the promised one from the line of David, who is called and anointed to bring healing to everything that's broken in the world. How does he see this? 
he also addresses him in verse 51. This is where your English translation doesn't do justice, but if you look at your Bible in verse 51, he calls him rabbi, but the Greek word that's there is actually rabioni, which is a title that was only used in prayer to God. And so here's Bartimaeus able to see what everyone else is blind to, that here is Jesus Christ, the God-anointed, God in the flesh, Savior, Messiah of the world. He sees who Jesus is. And then secondly, we see Bartimaeus' faith revealed in what he asks for. He asks him an interesting question in verse 51, doesn't he? He says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, that's a funny question, isn't it? Why would Jesus be asking that? Duh, doesn't he, doesn't he know? I mean, when you go to the dentist and the dentist says, hey, what do you want me to do for you here? Huh? Massage, I don't know, nails done, what? No, of course, I'm here to get my teeth. Like, doesn't Jesus know what he wants? But I love this about Jesus because in some ways, he is giving him the opportunity to voice his faith and to express his longings and show his confidence in Jesus' ability to heal. I don't know if any of you have read that wonderful book, Being Mortal by Atul Gawande. Um, he, in that book, as a physician, talks about how powerful it can be for physicians to ask their advanced stage cancer patients what they really want, rather than just to assume that they know what they need, right? Because to do that, it dignifies their patients. It makes them feel more human. And I believe that's what Jesus is doing for this man. He wants him to feel like a person who is loved, not a problem to be fixed. After being treated, treated like scum his whole life, Jesus treats him not as a project or a problem, but a human being with a voice. And so here's Bartimaeus. Just think what that moment must have been like. He sat there begging for so many years. He's been just scraping by in survival. No religious leader has ever even looked at him, let alone had a conversation with him. And here's the man standing in front of him who he believes to be the Messiah of the world saying to him, hey, brother, what do you want? What's he going to say? I mean, he could play it safe. He could say, oh, you know, maybe a little money, some food, a blanket. Or he could be like those two knuckleheads, James and John, you know, Remember just last week, Jesus asked them the same exact question. What do you want me to do for you? And what did they say? We want to be power, <laughs> most powerful lords of the universe. So here's Bartimaeus, right? What's he gonna say? He can play it safe and ask for a little money or he can be a knucklehead and ask for power and glory. What does he ask for? Mercy. Lord, I wanna see. I know you can make me whole. I know you can give me my sight back. And you can just see Jesus break out with a big old smile and say, my brother, your sight is mine to give. This is faith, friends. I know sometimes faith sounds like a really complicated, mysterious idea, but truly faith is just simply this, knowing who Jesus is and believing that he can make you whole. You want a simple definition of faith? That's it. Knowing who Jesus is and believing that he can make you whole. That's all Bartimaeus says. He's in touch with his desperation and he looks to Jesus as the one who can make him whole. And that's faith. And that's the kind of faith that Jesus looks for. This is why Jesus loves it when a beggar screams to him for help or when Zacchaeus climbs up the tree 
to see him or a bleeding woman pushes through a crowd to get to him or when a couple of dudes rip off shingles on a roof to get their friend to him or when a prostitute bursts into a dinner party just to get near him. See, Jesus loves it when people who know they cannot do life on their own drop everything, rush in, bust through, scream at the top of their lungs, do everything they can to get to him because they know that man is my only hope. That's faith. Jesus says, your child, child, your faith has healed you. Your willingness to come with nothing but your need, trusting that I have what you need, is faith that will heal you, that will make you whole. So friends, this is a hard move to make if your glass is full, like the rich young ruler, right? People who come to Jesus not out of desperation, but detached curiosity, or people who come to Jesus not for rescue, but for advice, those are the people that Jesus lets walk away because they're not in touch with their desperation and they can't see Jesus as the one who can rescue them. So Jesus is asking you, do you, he, do you see him? He's stopping for you. He's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? And what are you gonna say? Can you be honest to name the places in your life where you need mercy? He's stopping for you and he's ready to give it. Desperation, faith, and the last mark of a true disciple we see here in this story is surrender. Surrender. Can you imagine suddenly being able to see after your whole life lived in blindness? You know, you see the birds flying. You see the sky that's blue. You see the grass that's green. You see faces for the first time, trees, Right, his lifelong disability gone in an instant, his whole life suddenly restored. What are you gonna do next? Go tour the countryside? Go back and see his childhood home? Look at his mom's face for the first time? I mean, what are you gonna do suddenly when the thing that you have always wanted, you suddenly have? Well, here's what he does, verse 52. Immediately he received his sight, and followed Jesus along the road. He becomes a disciple, not just a believer in Jesus or a member of the crowd, but a disciple, a follower. All he wants to do now, he just said one thing, follow that man. Be with that man. Do what he's doing. Stay with that man. That's what I want to do now. Again, contrast this with the rich young ruler. Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have and follow me. And he couldn't do it. And here's Bartimaeus, without even being asked, doing everything without hesitation, what the rich young ruler couldn't do. Dropping, did you see that he took his cloak, the one thing that he has, that is his livelihood that he spreads in front of him to collect money? He just throws it aside, doesn't even give it a second chance, jumps up and follows Jesus on the road. Are you starting to get the picture here? Are you noticing that there are no moderate responses when it comes to Jesus. Either people walk away or they give him everything. They either abandon all or give him nothing. It reminds me of a joke I like about two friends, a chicken and a pig. Do you know that joke? So the chicken and the pig are walking along one day down the road and they look up and there's a diner and there's a sign in the window that says, so sorry, out of eggs and bacon. No more eggs and bacon. 
And a chicken looks at his friend, the pig, and says, hey, man, we can help him out. I'm a chicken, you're a pig. And the pig looks at his friend, the chicken, and says, my friend, for you, that is a contribution. For me, that's total commitment. <laughs> it's just a day's work for a chicken, but for a pig, it's lifelong commitment. And so here's why am I telling you that, Joe? Because disciples, listen, friends, when it comes to Jesus, disciples do not make contributions. They make commitment. They're all in. And that's what we see over and over again with guys like Bartimaeus, right? Ordinary life ends. Life as you previously lived it on your own with your own ambitions and agendas no longer exists. Like Bartimaeus, you now live for this man to know him, love him, serve him, follow him, surrender to him, conform to him. The supreme passion of your life becomes secondary to everything else but him. If knowing Christ, friends, if knowing Christ or being a Christian has not altered your life in some dramatic way, then maybe you're a Christian, but you're not a disciple. Because discipleship involves surrender, meeting this person, throwing all aside to follow on his way. But here's the secret. What motivates Bartimaeus to do this? Does he say, well, I guess this guy healed me, so I guess I have an obligation, I guess, to become a part of his crew. No, it's a spontaneous response in gratitude and love. There's no person he wants to be with more now than this man. And discipleship is motivated not by duty or guilt or obligation, but joyful gratitude and love. Remember where Jesus was going. He's going to Jerusalem in less than a week. He will face the events of his trial, torture, execution, and death. And I often think about this. Was Bartimaeus there? I'm sure he was. He was following Jesus. He followed him right up into the events of the end of Jesus's life. And can you imagine with his newly minted eyes, him watching the trial, watching Jesus be tortured, seeing his flayed back, seeing the pools of blood, seeing the thorns crushed down on his head, seeing him bear that cross, watching him get pinned up onto the cross, seeing him suffocating, seeing him die. I'm certain that Bartimaeus was there. That's why this firsthand account is here. And you can just imagine him saying, God, did you give me these eyes to see this? This man, I was the desperate one. I was the marginalized one. I was the one on the outside. And now here I am, whole and free. And here he is, the desperate, marginalized broken one. Can you see the exchange? His life for mine, my life for his. Bartimaeus will never doubt again, will never doubt again that this is the one that I want to follow. This is the one who is worth giving everything for because he gave everything to me. As we come to this table, I'm reminded of once years ago, when I was serving um, communion at the, our, our daughter church, the church that I pastored before this one, Easton Fellowship, which is in the East End of Richmond. And one Sunday I was officiating communion. I was at the table and there in the, in the congregation was a woman that I knew who had been in and out of homelessness, in and out of addiction. And she was 
not looking great. She was bedraggled um, and worn. And at the table, I, I, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I said something like, I often say, this, is not, this table is not for the worthy, but for the unworthy. This table is not for the, the, the proud and the strong, but the weak. This table is not for those who know they have what it takes, but those who know they're desperate and they need mercy. And before I could even finish, before I could even pick up the bread to do the words of institution, before I could even pray, she stands up and rushes the table. Everyone else is sitting down. She rushes the table and she says, I'm ready. I need the mercy and I need it now. Friends, you know what a disciple is? That's a disciple. Bartimaeus is a disciple. And as you come today, Jesus has stopped for you. And can you get in touch with your desperation? Can you get in touch with the places where you desperately need mercy? That's desperation. And then in faith, can you look to Jesus as the one who can make you whole, who can rescue you, grant you the mercy that you need? And then can you receive that mercy in grateful love and surrender your whole life to him. That's what discipleship is. Jesus is here. He's stopping for you. Cheer up. On your feet. He's calling you. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are kind and merciful to the desperate. Open our eyes to see the places where we need mercy today, that we would come to this table in faith, ready to receive grace from your hand, and then to follow you with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.